Mission View, and happy Mother's Day to all the moms that are in this congregation today. I'm not sure how I feel about all the sentimentality that's going on right now, Pastor Steve. Great, great job. I cried for the first video, and then I didn't cry for this one because I knew I had to get up here and speak, so I kept it back. But um, <clears throat> it's a lot of, not to think about. Can you turn the house lights up a little bit so I can see people? It would be helpful. One of your gifts from Pastor Steve today is he put a, three, a six foot five, 300-pound brute in front of your husband's and said, I'm going to give you a passage from the scripture where you're going to badger these guys for 35 straight minutes about how they, husbands should love their wives. So again, you can thank Pastor Steve for that. I wanted last week's passage, which was wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, uh, because then I could have badgered the wives for, uh, for 35 minutes, but Pastor Steve had none of that. So he, fortunately for you, he gave me uh, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 25 through 30, Three, where we really, where the scripture really talks about the glue that that holds marriages together and holds our world together, for that matter, and that's love. So to, to give you, a, a, get, let's get clearer with the context in our mind. Let's go back to the beginning of this family series where Pastor Butch shared with us from Colossians chapter three, and what he told us then was that our position in Christ really defines every relationship in our life. Every relationship is under the umbrella of our position in Christ. And he says, if you then be risen with Christ, so all believers have been risen to a new level of life. If you then be risen with Christ, put off the old man with his deeds, put on the new man, which is renewed uh, in knowledge after the, Im after the image of him who created him. So we need to put off, we need to die to that old self. The new self, the new man is made alive, and that new man is like Christ. It gives us a fighting chance of actually living this life the way God wanted us to, because without the Holy Spirit of God living in us, we don't even really know truly what love is. So as we head into this passage, we have to understand that our, our relationship with every person is defined by our, our relationship with Christ. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul then goes on to define now the, how the family structure is supposed to look. And that's what we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. I want to point out that this passage started in verse 21 that said this, submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. Submitting yourselves therefore one to another. So this idea of mutual submission is the, it sets the context for the entire passage. It's under this thing that where we, where we are committed to submit to one another and to serve one another that the Apostle Paul then gives us the rest of the structure for the family. Uh, and, and every lasting relationship uh, in life has to be done with, with where we are serving one another. One-sided relationships, the giver-taker type of relationship, it's not godly, and it will not last. It will not last. It, there's pain and suffering, separation, anxiety, everything else is in that giver-taker situation. So God's economy is giver-giver. That's, that's what we're going to be looking at today. So it's under that umbrella of mutual submission that we then get the structure for the family. So in verse 22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The husband, in verse 23, the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And ver chapter six, verse one, uh, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. So God has given us the authority structure for the family and he has placed the husband as the head of the family without apology. So in our modern mind, in our modern secular mind, there's something about that that sort of gets under our skin. Like, what about everybody's rights? Isn't everybody equal? You know, I heard one time that anything with more than one head belongs in a zoo. 
You know, there is, no, there is no order in life where everybody's in charge and everybody gets a trophy. There is no order in life that way. So there has to be ultimately someplace where responsibility lies and therefore authority with it, and God gives that to us. But let's be honest. This has been misunderstood, it's been misused, and it has been abused over the thousands of years of human history. So there's a reason why we're apprehensive about it. There's a reason why we've seen that. So to me, as I was preparing the, the message for this week, the, the compelling question is, what is God's plan for a successful marriage and a successful family? I mean, isn't that what we all want? If we knew for sure what we would have to do to have that, wouldn't we do it? So that was really the compelling question. And of course, in this authority structure that's given to us in our, in our prior context, the husband is in a position where he has a lot of responsibility. And as a husband of 39 years, I can tell you it frightens me to death to realize that when the buck stops someplace, it stops here. I can't blame my wife for something that goes wrong. It's like, bad, but the woman, God's going to say, sorry, bucko, the buck stops here. So it's frightening. How do I know what to do? Who's going to help me do this? How do I know I'm going to do it right? What if I do it wrong? So that's how the husband looks. And then the, 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 the wife in that same relationship is okay, but she has an equal amount of anxiety because Scripture has asked her to willingly submit herself to the authority and the leadership of her husband. And you'd be asking, so, but what about me? Where do I fit? What do I do? How are my views known or seen? And what, how, do, how does this fit? And so, you know, what we're looking for is we're looking for some practical handles to hold on to so we can know what to do. Because today I'm going to talk a lot on behalf of the men. And I, can, I can't speak for all men, but I can say most of the time I'm just trying to figure out what am I supposed to do? I know that's how you feel, but I don't know what to do based upon how you feel because I don't feel like you feel. So I need to know what God wants us to do and fortunately, he gives it to us in Ephesians 5, verse 23 through 30, 25 through 33. So let's read this together. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So as a man of almost uh, 59 years and be, having been married for 39 years, I can tell you I've made every possible mistake as it relates to loving my wife. So I'm not sure I'm the best person to do this message, but I have, do have some scars to show that I might share with you today that will help you. Whatever you do, don't do what he did. So that's a possibility. But thankfully, the Scripture does give us some very clear things that I, I, I pray today will give, maybe give you a change in perspective on a couple items and maybe give you a couple practical helps, something you can actually do going forward. So the first thing I want to point out today is fulfilling God's role for, for husbands requires a death to self. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So Jesus gives us an example of what it means to love. He loved his bride, the church, so much that he literally gave up his life. Not figuratively, he died. He literally gave up his life and died. Uh, and so we're wondering, it's within that context, the Apostle Paul now writes to husbands in Ephesians 5, 
like Christ loved his wife, his bride so much he died for her, so likewise for you. And he says, so this is, the, the Christ literally died. This is serious business. When he says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, he's not fooling around here. This is really serious. Scripture teaches us consistently that we cannot truly love someone until we've died to ourselves. Even in Colossians 3, when we look back at the passage I referred to earlier, when we die to ourselves, we put off the old man. The old man and his deeds. These deeds are selfish, guys. One of the roots, <clears throat> one of, the roots of sin is just selfishness. I just want to feel good. I want to do good. I want to have what I want. I want to eat what I want. I want to drink what I want. I want to go when I want. I want to watch what I want. I want to do what I want. I want to. I all, all kinds of things I want for me, and I don't really care about anybody else. That is one of the root causes of sin because I want what I want for myself so much, I'll do anything, even if it's against God's word. So we have put off the old man. What did we put on? We put on the new man. And the new man is, has the character of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God. When you go to Galatians 5 and you look at the fruit of the Spirit and it being love, I'm going to tell you, when I read that list, I have no hope of doing that by myself. Without Christ in me, I cannot be that man. I want to be that man, but I can't be that man for more than 10 minutes. Something comes up and I'm not that man again. So, and then in, in that same passage, verse 14, it says, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So what that scripture is telling us is love is the glue that's holding, it's binding the husband and wife together through all the storms in life. Now, would you agree with me that there are some storms in life? Amen. There's a lot of pressures in life. I'm, I'm looking at some of the younger couples in here and trying to remember what it felt like to be in your shoes. Financial pressures. Do I have a house? Do I have a job? What's going on with my kids? Am I going to have kids? Now my wife wants to raise them one way. I want to raise them another way. My family wants my mom and dad, blah, blah, blah. Boy, there's pressure, pressure, pressure that a husband and wife are under right from the get-go. Bang, right out of the gate. You're under a lot of pressure. And life is, it's got a lot of trouble, but it's also got blessings. So it's like a railroad track. In parallel, bad things and good things are happening. And you have to know how to, to enjoy the good things together and deal with the bad things together. But it is overwhelming. Um, in addition, if that's not bad enough, you are now bound together with a person who is completely different than you. You've heard the saying that opposites attract. Have you found that to be true in your life? Holy cow. Now, I've seen men and women <clears throat> of every style where they, the one's this way and that way, you know, but what, however, whatever your style is and whoever plays what role in the family, when the day is done, most of the time you're completely opposite. You have a completely different point of view on the world. And so, and so you're, you're, the, the other one's constantly challenging you. So in my case, Robin's here. And from the beginning, everything I want to do, she's asking me, what about this? What did you think about that? And I think, for goodness sake, could you just calm down? You know, everything I do, she sees the opposite picture. And in our young married life, it was very frustrating. So you're fighting these battles. In the meantime, you've got a person who wants to do something different in every situation. So you think, God, is this a cruel joke? I mean, opposites attract. And, and, and if it is, it's, it's not as terrible as you think. We'll get to it in a minute. And then on top of that, we go through stages in life. So we grow as we mature. So the girl that I married when I was 20 years old is not the girl that I'm married to today. She's probably changed five times. And I've probably changed five times because you know what happens is we grow. We mature. We get more wisdom. We get more experience. And we change every step of the way. So you married one person. Now you're married to somebody different all along the way. And all this is going on. I had a guy tell me one time about his marriage. He says, you know, 
we were kids, then we had kids, and then we grew up, we, we were kids together, then we had kids together, then we grew up together in that order, and now we're getting older together. And boy, that would be the, the story for, for me. Uh, and so, you know, it's, you keep changing every step of the way. And, and so under all of that pressure, a marriage without God's love and God's plan is doomed. <clears throat> it's doomed to frustration, it's doomed to failure, and not perfect harmony, as is referred to in Colossians. So how are we going to pull it off? Husbands, the passage today is about you. It says, husbands, we got to die to ourselves. A death has to take place. We have to die to ourselves. And, and if I'm sitting out there with you, I'd say, thanks for that. What does that even mean? Die to yourself. You know, uh, it, it, as a husbandman, as a husband, we have to understand death to yourself gets real simple to me. It's not all about you anymore, fella. It's all about her. It's not all about you. A husband comes from the word husbandman, and a husbandman is a caretaker, <clears throat> excuse me, a workman or one who cultivates. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not good at a lot of things, but I'm a good workman. I know how to go to work on something. And working is, a, a husband is someone who cultivates and is a working on something. Uh, and, and a husband dedicates his primary attention to the benefit of his wife. This is what the scripture is saying. You are dead to yourself, and she is now the one that you're going to do something with. Uh, and you think, okay, that sounds like a give or take a relationship to me. I do all the giving, she does all the taking. And I thought you said that wouldn't work. Well, you know, I want to explain something. God has many virtuous cycles. This is one of those virtuous cycles because the scripture doesn't tell your wife to die to herself and give herself to you. It doesn't even tell her to do that at all. It just tells her to submit to you. It tells you to die to yourself. But here's how it works. You say, okay, I understand. This is not all about me. I'm, a, I'm dead to myself and dead men have no rights. Do you hear me? Dead men have no rights. When you're dead, you don't have any bills either. You don't have grass to mow. It's all kinds of things you don't have when you're dead. And one of those things is you don't have rights either. So dead men have no rights. So my job is to do everything I can to make her the best that she can be. So I'm going to concentrate all day on giving to her the things that will make her the most that she can be. What about me? What's going to happen? It doesn't matter. You're dead. Dead men have no rights. But you know, God hardwired your wife to respond really well to that kind of love. Because when you love her that way, you know what that makes her do? It makes her love you more. And if she loves you more, you know what she wants to do? She wants to make sure you have everything you need and you have all the things that, that it takes for you to be successful. And so while you're giving, 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 you look down and everything you need is sitting at your feet. You think, well, how'd that get there? I'll tell you how it didn't get there. It didn't get there by you stealing from somebody or for you bullying somebody or for you browbeating somebody and grabbing it for yourself selfishly. That's not how it got there because you've been giving all day and yet somehow magically everything you need is there. See, what does that make you do? What make you want to do? It makes you love her more and it makes you want to do more for her. Amen. So when you do more for her, guess what it makes her want to do? It makes her want to do more for you, which makes you want to do more for her. And this is a virtuous cycle that God has, but it starts someplace. You know, in, in my business, I teach my employees, we do not do win-lose relationships or deals. They're, either, they're always win-win, and they're win-win, we let them win first. We always let them have the first win. That's how we do relationships. That's what God's saying right here. This is going to be a win-win relationship, and you're going to let her win first, Bubba. This is not about you. So you've got to die to yourself, and you've got to live for what makes her the best that she can be. And she's going to want to respond in a way that does that for you. And it's, it's a 
virtuous cycle. It just goes up and up and up and up. It's beautiful. So, but trust me, it doesn't matter whether you get anything from it or not. God just told you to die to yourself. So you got to start there. Second thing is a godly marriage requires you to love your wife like you love yourself. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So there you go, guys. Loving your wife is loving yourself. Happy wife, happy life. You had no idea that that came from the Scripture, did you? There it is. Loving your wife is loving yourself. What's the problem with that? It, it, and it says, so what would you do? You would do what you would do for yourself. Nourish her and cherish her. And that sounds kind of simple until this problem. Because when I think, okay, I want to love my wife the way I would love myself, what would I want if I were her? What would I want? I would have bought a bigger garage, a car with a bigger motor. I would like a, uh, a, a Jeep. I'd like a boat, and I'd like to go fishing in the boat alone. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to see anybody. I want some peace and quiet. I want to be gone for a couple days. That would be nice. I'd like some steaks. And when you start making the list of what you would want, actually, she wouldn't want one of those things. Now, one of the things on that list is what she wants. And so you think, okay. And I, ladies, I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you to cut the guys some slack a minute here. I'll, I'll throw this on myself. We don't get it sometimes. We just don't. Bob does, but I don't. Uh, he's in touch with his feminine side, though. You can tell this by looking at him. You know, the, the problem is, uh, you know, we see the world completely different. This opposites attract. We're going to keep coming back to it. We see the world completely different. So I, I'll illustrate this. One time, Robin and I were walking through Dover Park, and she was chewing me out over something that I had done or didn't do. Uh, and as she's talking to me, and I'm trying to figure out why she's so mad at me, uh, she's telling me, and as she gets halfway through the story, it's like, oh boy, now I'm embarrassed. Because what she's saying, a third grader should have seen this. But honestly, I stopped her and I said, Robin, I just got to tell you, please believe me when I say this, I never saw that. That thought never occurred to me. And it wouldn't have occurred to me in 150 years had you not brought it up. Now that you brought it up, it's like, oh my goodness, no wonder you're so mad at me. A third grader should have known. I just want you to know I didn't see it and then disregard it because it was important and moved on. I never saw it. It was never in my viewfinder. Boy, there's a lot of things that are like that for her too. We don't see the world the same way. And so if I'm supposed to do for her, if I'm supposed to nourish her and cherish her in a way that she would want, how do I know what to do? Again, not good with concepts. Some of you may be good with concepts, not good with concepts. Give me something tangible to do, and I'm on it like white on rice, like a heat-seeking missile. Bad news, guys. I've got some terrible news for you. You're going to need to do a little studying here. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says this, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. This starts by saying you need to know with her. You, you need to know her. You need to dwell with her according to knowledge. And what does that even mean? Because it means you've got to study her. You've got to study her. You've got to work at this. This is not a freebie. You've got to work at it, and it's continual effort. It's never over. And here's why. I used to think that sometimes Robin would get up in, in the morning and just do stuff just to make me mad. I think she, you know, here she's making a list of what I'm going to do. I'm going to make Pat mad doing this, and then I'm going to do this and make him mad. 
It's just, just what, it, it, it's inconceivable. You would do that. You just must be doing it to make me mad. Uh, when in truth, the, it, 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 why, why can't you just tell me what you want and I'll write it down and then you sign the paper and then I know that's what you want me to do. But the, the target keeps moving. Why does the target keep moving? Because she keeps changing. She keeps growing. I keep growing. We all keep growing. Lord willing, we all keep growing. And so the target does keep moving, and it's going to keep moving, and it's never going to stop moving, guys. Pursue her. This is what it's telling us. Pursue her. You know, you pursued her when you were dating, and you pursue her when you want her, and you're going to have to pursue her the rest of your life, guys. Get it in your head. Change your perspective. This is part of this. This is the throw of the hunt. It's the thrill of the hunt. She likes to be chased, and you ought to like to chase her. I'm honestly, I had to get that in my head, and when I did, she's not doing it to make me mad. This is life. It's life. We all keep changing, and we're going to have to study each other. We have to study each other. And so what does that mean now? Don't be frustrated by that. <clears throat> Embrace it. Now, I need to know what her strengths are, and this is really important, because what her strengths are is what God made her to do and to be. As her husbandman, I want to make sure she has everything she needs to be the best that that she can be. Because God made her to be awesome at some things, and it's your job to feed her everything she needs to be awesome at that and to encourage her in that. Because, because opposites attract, most of the time, what she's really good at happens to be what you are what? Not very good at. So, awesome. I'm glad you're good at that. I'm not worth a darn at that. Uh, so you need to feed her what she needs and the things that she's weak in, you need to protect her. You need to protect her because the thing she's weak in is where, is what? It's where you're strong. It's where you're strong. Say, you know what, dear? I got your back. I'm not going to make fun of you. I'm not going to belittle you for your weakness. I've got your back. You've got to think differently about this. We've got to think differently about it. And we've got to know her needs. And of course they're different from yours. Thank goodness. Uh, unless you wanted to be married to me, which I promise you, you don't. Uh, you know what? Her needs are different than yours. And it's, it's, it's called work. A husband is a worker. It's a workman who's cultivating. This is why we're called that in the Scripture. And then it says, give honor to the wife. And I don't know what your translation or interpretation of that, but here's mine. And that is to rely on her in her areas of strength. Because, you know, She's just, let's face it, guys, she's just better than you at some things. She's just a lot better than you at some things. One of the ladies in our church asked Robin and I a couple weeks ago, they said, she said, who wears the pants in your family? We think that Robin wears the pants in your family. And my answer was, it depends on the subject. Because there are some things that she's just way better than I am at. And when we're in that realm, she's the boss. She's the boss of me. There are certain things that she's not worth a darn at, and I'm really good at, and guess what? I'm the boss of her in that situation as a practical matter. Now, I understand scripturally, when the buck stops, it stops with the husband. I get that. But you know what, guys? God didn't put the husband on the earth alone. He gave the husband a help meet, and he gave, a, he gave us the word of God. He gave us the family of God. He gave us a, 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 a wife. He gave us a family. We're not in this alone. So, you know, it would be foolish to not honor her in her areas of strength and to rely on her and openly rely on her in her areas of strength. You know, who wears the pants in your family? It depends on what we're talking about. But there are certain things she clearly is the boss. And I, and I, I, don't, I don't use that as an excuse to, to get away from my own responsibility. I still have responsibility before God. But still, I'd be foolish to not let her be the boss and to encourage her in that and show reverence to her, to others, honor her. 
You know, I was out to eat a couple of weeks ago and Robin was out of town with a friend of hers and I was eating uh, alone and the, the server who we know was talking to her and talking about Robin. She stopped me. She says, you know, you're good to make me cry. You're, you're bragging on your wife. She says, you're really proud of her. Well, I, I am really proud of her. And I do brag on her and I'm going to brag on her because I feel that way, number one, but then I want to honor her. I always want to honor her. And guys, this is part of loving her. Amen. It's part of loving her. You've got to honor her. Scripture is clear about what we got to do. The last thing I see in this passage is you got to see yourself as a team. It says being heirs together of the grace of life. You know, if I accept the fact that uh, I, she's just way better at me than some things and I'm way better at other things, here we are together and we're in a storm and bad stuff's happening. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell her, dear, I've got your back. You know what she says to me? She's got my back. There's, there's no question that's how it works. So we're going through this together and I, I, I got her back and she's got mine and we're battling our way through the tough stuff and we're rejoicing during the good stuff and we're in this thing together. We're heirs together of the grace of life. Life can be a wonderful thing. We're heirs together. You got to see yourself as a team and you can't see her as your competitor. You know, you're in this together and you're doing it together. The last point I want to point out from our overall passage is this, and that's God's plan requires you to hold fast to your wife. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother, and, and uh, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery, is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Guys, marriage is a lifetime commitment. Period. Hold fast to your wife. Now, what I hear in young people nowadays is, is this, this, you know, I'm going to live together for a little while, we'll see how that works, and then we'll get to get married, and we'll see how that works, and if it works, it'll be good. Now, I understand that people that have a lifetime commitment in marriage, things go wrong, and I understand that things break down and that marriage is ended. I get that. I live in the real world. I'm not throwing stones at anybody. What I'm throwing stones at is the idea that somehow... Uh, we're just going to experiment with this relationship and see how it goes. And if it goes good, I got my checking account. She's got her checking account. She's got her bills. I got my bills. I got my stuff. She's got her stuff. Holy cow. I, I, no, life is a, it, it, marriage is a lifetime commitment. You've got to hold fast. And your wife, guys, need to know, and she needs to be reminded that you're with her right to the end. Amen. She needs to know that because, guys, there's all kinds of terrible things going on around us. There's pressures in life. There's changes in our lives. There's changes in our bodies. There's changes in everything going on that's around us. And regardless of the stage in life that you're in, she needs to know that your love means that you're in this to the end. You're in this to the end. She needs to know that you're there regardless. And all, no matter what happens, we're going to get through it. And how are we going to get through it? Together, just like this, back to back. She needs to know that she's your prior, number one priority over all others. You're, she, it says you're to leave your father and mother and hold fast to your wife. Now, I don't know how that plays out in your life, but it, I'll tell you how it plays out in mine, and that is uh, she has to have the number one priority about my time and energy, and I, I work a lot and I travel. You know, the way that worked out in my life, Robin one time says, I don't know where you're at next week because your, your, your calendar, I've got your calendar, but I'm not sure... So you know what, why don't I just make you my personal assistant that everybody who needs to get to me has to go through you first. Every single person I talk to and every single place I am and every single thing I do comes through you. Well, that's what we did. It worked out great, great, great for us. It worked out perfect for me. Uh, if I get a phone call, she knows where I'm at 
if Robin calls, no matter who I'm with, I will stop it. It's my wife. It's my wife. Hold on. I got to get this. I'm, there, nobody in this room and nobody in any room that I'm in has priority over my wife. I love her and I'm going to hold fast to her. And this is what the scripture is telling us. She's, she's got to be number one priority and she's got to know she's number one priority. Now, any thinking person doesn't abuse that. But when it needs to be done, it needs to be done. This is what it means. You're going to leave your father and your mother. You're going to leave everything. You're going to leave everything because there's one thing that you've got to deal with. Um, and this, last, this last, part, last part literally changed my life when I got this figured out. And that is, the two shall become one flesh. What does that mean? It could mean a lot of different things, but I'm going to give you my perspective on it. Our modern, in our modern Western secular mindset, there's an idea that all people are complete in themselves. I am complete in myself. Everything that I need, I am complete. What man can conceive, man can achieve, and I need no God. I don't need God. I don't need anybody else. I am complete in myself. That is the secular Western mindset that we see today. The biblical mindset is completely different from that, by the way. 1 Corinthians 12 gives us the biblical mindset, and it says we are all a part of a body. That body has a head, and that head is Jesus Christ. That's where all the orders come from. We are all a member of that body, meaning a member, meaning I, we're all a part of that body. And as a part of that body, God has pre-programmed us with attitudes, aptitudes, abilities, skills, everything that we need to be perfectly suited for that role in the body of Christ. So God may have made me to be a hand, and he has gifted me to do some of the most, have the most incredible dexterity in the world. And I am an awesome hand, but a hand cannot live by itself. It is not independent. It is interdependent. This hand is completely dependent on the rest of this body for its functioning. So I, God did not create us to be independent and self-sufficient in and of ourselves. And he did not create us to be complete. He made us incomplete and completely dependent on the rest of the body for our functioning. And I can say that, you know, I, I, I want to be a great hand, but I'm a great hand, but I'm a terrible liver. I can live without a hand, but I can't live without a liver. So you know what? I can't so what I'm a great hand tell yourself you're a great hand but you know you don't get you're not all that in a bag of chips you're just part of a body the body is what's awesome the individual members are not what's awesome the fact that God equipped them to do awesome things is awesome but God did that so what how does that relate to our to our marriage when I approach my marriage, I, I, I sort of approached it with that secular mindset that said, you know, I'm the man, I'm the husband, I'm the leader, I have to be right all the time, I have to never be afraid, I have to have all the answers, I have to be dependable and reliable and true blue and blah, 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 because I'm complete in myself. There's nothing could have been farther from the truth. That's not the way God built us. That's a wrong perspective. And where this came to fruit, uh, fruition for me, I was at a conference when I was 30, and it was a conference on learning styles. It was a, it's a Sunday school leaders uh, conference, and I took my first personality test. The personality test, you, you know, answer a zillion questions and they graph you on a chart that's like this, four grid chart. And when he, the guy graphed me, I'm way up here in this bizarre left hand, upper left hand corner of this chart. And at that moment in time, honestly, I was sort of sick of myself. I, I'm, I'm really good at some things and I'm just terrible at other things and I'm not the easiest person to live with. And I, even I was sick of myself at that time. So I met the guy after and I said, you know, I need some help. You nailed me dead to rights. I mean, you couldn't, if you had interviewed my wife and had every strength and every weakness of mine, you couldn't have been more accurate. How did you even do that? 
So he's laughing, then he made fun of me for a while. And then he said, uh, he said, are you married? And I said, yes. He says, do you have a good marriage? I said, I think we do. He said, then let me tell you about, my, let me tell you about your wife. He told me everything about Robin, almost to a T. It was spooky. And I said, what is that all about? He says, well, duh, opposites attract. This is not a curse, sir. God didn't do this as a cruel joke. He said, guys like you, look where you're at. You need somebody all the way down here to yank you to the middle before you blow yourself up. He says, and, and he says let, me, let me guess. He says, guy like you, he says, you probably think that she needs you more than you need her. You're a strong leader, you're decisive, you know, whatever. Uh, he says, you probably think she needs you way more than you need her. Well, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she, I said, she can't order a hamburger at McDonald's. She didn't know what to get at McDonald's. We got to give her 45 minutes. She doesn't know what she wants at McDonald's. Yeah, he says, he says, guys like you will be highly efficient, highly effective, very successful. You will be emotionally and spiritually bankrupt. You will not have a friend in the world and your children will hate you. So if that's what you want, you're on track. Keep doing what you're doing. He said, if you want a hope of having a good life, you will never make one other decision ever again as long as you live without her involving her in that decision. God put her in your life to complete you, sir. You're incomplete by yourself. She put her in your life to complete you. He's, she's, he said, you treat her like she's your competitor because she has different eyes and ideas than you do. So you want to debate her ideas to figure out who's right and who's wrong. You treat her like she's your competitor. She is not your competitor. She is your completer. You need to embrace those ideas. You should not make one other decision as long as you live ever without getting her involved. And by God, I did that. I did that because it would be foolish when you finally get that in your mind. The two become one flesh, heirs together of the grace of life. When I got that through my thick skull, it changed my life. It changed my marriage. It changed. Now, that doesn't mean I, that we don't aggravate each other still. I mean, we still are sort of opposite. And we still aggravate each other a little while. And I'm sure you're, you know, even those of you that have been married longer still have that, con that condition going on. But under the overarching umbrella of that is I get it. I understand God's purpose in this. This isn't a cruel joke. It's God's provision. It's God's provision for you to keep you where you can have a successful life and a successful marriage and a successful family. That's what God wants. He wants you to have life and he wants you to have it abundantly. So it goes back to our original question today. What is God's plan for successful marriage and a successful family? And it starts with the, the husband fulfilling his responsibility for, before God to die to himself. It's not about you anymore, fella. It's about her. That's where it starts. Then it goes to a godly marriage requires you to love your wife like you love yourself. And how do you know how to do that? There's no simple answer to that. You're going to need to know her, which means you've got to study her and you've got to pursue her. Just learn to like it. It'll add a little spice to your life. Uh, and put her own needs above your own. And then God's plan requires you to hold fast. Hold fast to her. It's a lifetime commitment regardless of the pressure. And she needs to be reminded, just like she's got to be reminded that you love her. You can't say, I loved you, I told you that 20 years ago, and I would let you know if I changed my mind. I mean, that's obviously not going to work. You have to, she has to be reminded that you love her, and she has to be reminded that, that she's your girl, and you're going to be, she's going to be, you guys are going to be together to the end, regardless of all the bizarre stuff that's going on, because there's a lot of bizarre stuff going on. That we've got we to gotta ferret our way through together, back to back. And that understand that she's your completer. 
The last thing I saw in this passage, and this is so important, it says your commitment in your relationship with your wife should mirror your relationship with Christ. Look what it says. This mystery is profound. I'm saying it refers to Christ in the church. This is not something small. It's profound. Because what this scripture is saying is, number one, as a husband, you need to die to yourself. You need to become a husband, meaning you're a nurturer of this new relationship. Dead men have no rights. You're living and you're alive to her, and you are going to leave all other relationships. You're going to hold fast to her, and the two are going to become one. That's what it's saying. And then it says, and this is what it means to be a child of God. We don't become a child of God because we prayed a little prayer. We become a child of God because one day we said, you know what? You're God, and I am not. I'm a sinner, and I have no hope by myself. No hope. So, I'd rather die to myself now. I'd rather give it up on my own. I'd rather not have it stolen from me. I'm going to die to myself, and I'm going to do everything I can to cling to God. I'm going to cling to God, uh, and I'm going to do everything I can to live a life that we're in this together to the end, and I'm going to ask God to be my completer. I'm going to ask him to give me his Holy Spirit. These two things are the same thing. So if you think this passage is nothing, it's not nothing. This is referring to your relationship with, between husbands and wives as being the same as your relationship to God, the one that seals your eternity. So I'm going to pray today as we wrap up. And I'm going to ask you guys, uh, you know, ladies, I hope you got something out of this too. You got something to make fun of your husbands over. But I'm going to ask you, I'm going to pray as I'm praying to God myself in the first person, and I'm going to ask you if you agree with these things to pray the same thing. We're going to pray a prayer commitment to the Lord as we wrap up our day today. Lord God, we come before you. I come before you. I realize that you're God. You are the creator and the sustainer of all life into this universe. You're the beginning of ending of all wisdom. You're the only right one. You're the, you're the only holy, righteous one. And God, without you, I'm doomed. Lord, I'm a sinner, and I know that I, I, I do dumb things. I don't understand what I should do. I don't know what to do many times, and I just... I know I completely need you, Lord, so I give myself to you. I die to myself as best I know how. I don't know what that means every day, but I pray that you show me what that means. I want to, I want to, I want to put myself aside, and I want my life to be hid with God in Christ. So, Lord, I just ask you to fill me with your Spirit, and I ask you when your Spirit's there to change me to be like you. I want to, I want to, I want to love what you love, I want to hate what you hate, and I want to be able to love wholly. Lord, I, I pray that you'd help me to love my wife in a way that is the way you would do it, Lord. I pray that you'd give me a capacity that's beyond my capacity to say no to myself and yes to the things that are right for her to make her everything that she should be and can be. Lord, I just ask that you'd give me the wisdom and the knowledge to do that, and I pray for my marriage, that you would bind us together in a way that we complete one another, and we, we, we hold fast to one another to the end. And I pray, Lord, for my family that you would, you would enable us to have and, and, and teach our children what this means and what this means so that they, in turn, have the same relationship with you that they see in the relationship between their mom and dad. Lord, we can't do this without you. I need your help. And I just ask that you would work in me and through me and change me and make me like you and get rid of the old me. And I pray and ask this all today in Jesus' name. Amen.